Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. There's only one authority on the Tennessee Titans, and that's the Tennessean. And there's only one show that's an authority, too, and you've found it. This is Talkin' Titans. On July 4, 2009, former Titans quarterback Steve McNair was shot to death by his mistress, Sahel Kasemi. According to police, it was a murder-suicide. He was 36. The news was met with complete shock and disbelief in Nashville, the city where he'd become a local hero. He led the Titans to the 2000 Super Bowl. He was known for his courage and intensity on the field and his benevolence and charity off of it. He was a living legend here. Four current Tennessean and USA Today Network Tennessee staffers were with the network on that day in 2009. A local reporter who might have been the last to interview McNair. A photographer who knew him as well as anyone in the media. A pair of reporters who were among the thousands in Mississippi for his funeral. This is Eric Backrack, Titans beat writer for the Tennessean. Here's what we remember of Steve McNair's death and the aftermath of one of the most shocking breaking news stories in Nashville's history. Twelve days before Steve McNair was shot and killed, Tennessee and Wilson County reporter Andy Hubbles interviewed McNair for a story about his new restaurant on Jefferson Street named Gridiron 9. So Andy, how long was that interview? What was sort of just the tone of that interview with Steve? Because as far as we know, that was the last interview Steve ever did with a reporter. Yeah, I, I would guesstimate I was there uh, 45 minutes to mm-hmm. an hour. Came out and uh, he was there, upbeat, relaxed, comfortable. Um, more so, I, I had a few dealings with him, w- with the Titans, and uh, just struck me as, as more relaxed and comfortable in retirement. He, he, uh, he was moving trays. He was walking around. I, f- I finally got maybe... 15, 20 minutes with him in a back room, and he was he was uh, really accommodating, talked about uh, retirement, talked about how he'd like to help kids in retirement. That, that was something he really talked a lot about, said the restaurant itself was uh, sort of an extension of, of, of that, and he wanted—I mean, it was sort of— uh, if, you're, if you remember, like, the, the Happy Days, Al's Diner— I mean, that's what it was like. You know, it was not a, a steakhouse upscale. It was just a walk-in 
kind of place. And uh, he, he said he opened it to give college students something affordable to eat. He mingled. I remember Vince Young and Keith Bullock came in. Mm-hmm. And uh, he, he, he talked to them some, but um, talked as much with, with everybody else. It was mid-afternoon, so it wasn't like a dinner crowd or a lunch crowd, mm-hmm. but, it, but there were people there. Mm-hmm. But no, yeah, no, no red flags, nothing seemed, seemed fine. Yeah, I was, I was going to ask because that was, I think, 12 days before it happened. So, you know, obviously a lot had to happen between then and, and when things escalated. But from just your dealings with him at no point, you know, was there ever a thought in your head that something might be wrong? None at all. None, none, none at all. He seemed, I, I always, he always struck me. He, I mean, he, he was always good to work with, with, uh, in in the football setting, sure, but it but I, it always struck me that he didn't really enjoy that part of it. He didn't enjoy the press. I mean, it was part of the job, and 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 he was accommodating. But this, he seemed to enjoy. He seemed to be having fun. Mm-hmm. Was that your sort of just prevailing takeaway from from this sort of sit down with him? Was just that maybe he enjoyed this more more than a traditional talking about yeah. football type of interview. Yeah, I think he enjoyed kind of seeing what was out there. I kind of thought of him that day as a people person, mm-hmm. and I hadn't really thought of him that way before uh, as a football quarterback. Sure. So so you interview McNair, you write the story, and then there was kind of a little bit of a quirk just with how the story ran in print, if maybe you could describe that. We wrote it for a section we had then called Davidson AM, which pre-printed and uh, we wrote it the week before he died, and the deadline was Friday night. So it was it was I think our deadline was midweek. But as far I mean, it printed it went on the press uh, Friday night, and I found out Saturday. I guess like everybody else, mm-hmm. that that Saturday that that he died, and it was kind of the first time I remember social media exploding the, the way it did. But um, found out that that uh, he died, knew we had this story coming out. It would have come out on a Wednesday, I believe, but it, it, was, it was pre-printed. And uh, so I, I, I called my editor at the time and, and asked, there, we've got to get this out, <laughs> out of the paper. And they said that there was no way. We, we had, I think, disclaimers more than once in, mm-hmm. in, the, uh, in the main paper that this was coming out, and I, I don't remember a whole lot of backlash from it. But I was going to ask how many angry emails did you get about it? it, it I don't. I don't know that anybody was angry. It uh-huh. was kind of. It was kind of. Uh, you know. You know how stupid are you guys? <laughs> yeah. That kind of thing. But it was only a couple. I think we we uh, publicized that pretty well to mm-hmm. let people know, and uh, and actually there was a lot of interest or some interest in it. Mm-hmm. Do you remember? where and, and, you know, when you were, uh, where you were, when, when the news broke and, and when exactly did the thought dawn in you that, Hey, I might've actually been the last person to interview Steve. I, I wondered if, if he had done any, I don't know why he would have done any more interviews right, was, in between that season. time. Yeah. yeah. Um, maybe I, I don't, I didn't see anything else on the restaurant. We had something before then that, just sort of a brief that announced it was coming out or that he had opened it and the the the, the supplement was was more of a 
a, a feature on it uh, for that special section, community section we had. Yeah, I I I found out at home. Um, my sister-in-law is my wife's sister is the one who actually told us said they saw it all on Twitter and I yeah I th- I thought um, I had both those thoughts of of boy we've got this story coming out and and also I wonder if I wonder who else did a did a story or, or I wonder if he did any other interviews in between that in between the time I talked to him and, and his death so pretty fast while Andy Humbles might have been the last reporter to interview McNair Tennessean photographer George Walker was the only photographer allowed to take photos inside the funeral service. Do you remember where you were, George, July 4th, 2009? I think, I think you said you were on vacation. 2009, I was on vacation. I was um, down in sunny Florida having a good time. Uh, I was actually out playing one of the best rounds of golf that I've ever played before. <laughs> and then about halfway through, uh, I get started getting all these texts. I mean, it was, it was kind of crazy. Um, People were asking me, "Where are you? What you doing? You know, is it true? Um, is you know, is McNair dead?" And I'm like, "I don't know. I, I had no idea, right? Because I was completely unplugged, or not completely, but uh, I was unplugged and not paying attention to whatever else was going on. And um, I finally started reaching out to our beat reporter at the time, Jim Wyatt, and you know, some other folks that I knew who were close to the other reporters I knew who were close to the team, mm-hmm. and they they told me what happened." And I, or what was going on at the time? I don't think anybody knew exactly what happened, but they just knew that they were at the at the apartment and um, you know investigating, and that Steve would Steve Steve was dead. Mm-hmm. And so it was for the rest of the day. It was just like you know this, the the this wind went out of the sails. It was just gone. And then I, I guess you kind of sprint into action, and it, it kind of came to be that you were the only photographer allowed to take photos inside the funeral service. If maybe you could just elaborate on that. Yeah. So like several days later, after we got back and service and uh, arrangements were made for the service, they were only going to allow one pool photographer mm-hmm. into the service to you know to photograph the um, the proceedings and so forth. So. And there was a stipulation that we couldn't photograph Michelle or the boys. So, and we were the only, you know, because they're, we were the only ones who would completely agree to that. And we acted as a pool. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we were able to, we shared our, the pictures that I shot um, with all, with all the other media outlets that were there. Mm-hmm. And you, you had a pretty good relationship with Steve just as the guy who was, you know, a photographer there, you know, for the duration of his career here. If maybe you could describe just just the type of guy, you know, the impression you got of of who he was, and I guess what that was like to be there at his funeral, and just sort of how surreal that was. It was really weird, just, you know, because having the times with him, you know, portrait sessions or whatever. There was funny one that happened that just just came to mind is that the we were trying to do it. I was doing a portrait session, and the strength and conditioning coach, I guess, for weeks had been trying to get him on the scale to figure out his his weight at the time, and so. Steve Watterson at the time actually devised a way. It's like, okay, if I put this scale underneath this place, you have him stand here on this while you're shooting that portrait, I can get the, get the, uh, get the weight. <laughs> and so <laughs> he did it. Steve was a little mad at me, but I, he, we got past it, <laughs> which is pretty funny. And then, you know, all the times covering him on the field and watching him, you know, you know, will games and, and just, just tough it out, every tough single it out, time. Tough, tough it out every single time. I mean, I remember, uh, the time that he actually 
went out, looked like he went out on his shield. I shot a picture of him, I guess, when he had the chest injury mm-hmm. um, of him being carted off, and he just looked like a gladiator going out on his shield. And mm-hmm. it just was um, surreal to see that this, you know, man that I had knew as a football player and as as, as a, um, a person in the community is just, you know, just weird to see that he's gone. Yeah, and, and if I could sort of ask you, uh, if maybe there's any, you know, photos that you took or images that that remain in your mind from that uh, funeral service. I know you said you couldn't take photos of of the family, the immediate family, but is there any, you know, vivid image that sort of just persists in your mind to this day after being there? No, there's several. Uh, there's at least a couple. Um, one is is uh, Derek Mason's wife um, um, consoling him when he's sitting in the in the pews, and another is Jeff Fisher when he was giving his remarks. Uh, about Steve, you know, and of course the portrait of Steve was below, and and um, um, Jeff was talking about the you know his life and his career and his mm-hmm. time with the Oilers and Titans and so forth, um, you know, and it was and seeing Eddie and see all the all the other different players that that you know played for played with Steve and, and so forth. So it was it was you know just sur- you know, surreal, I guess. George Walker was joined by several Tennessean colleagues at McNair's funeral in Mississippi. Feature writer Jessica Bliss also made the trek to Southern Miss for it. What's the most vivid image you have, Jessica, of of the funeral and just being there covering that? The thing I remember most is uh, looking at Steve McNair's wife and his two young children in the front row. Um, His youngest boy had his head um in his mama's lap and i could just i mean it just it hit me straight in the heart just trying to imagine what these children and this family was going through at that moment was it all you know surprising just how many people showed up for that i you know i've I've read a lot about how many thousands of people were there if maybe you could describe that scene yeah i mean it i mean even from before the doors even opened, you know, there was a line forming, you know, two hours um, before people were even allowed in. And it was a public funeral. So people came, you know, from all over the area, from all parts of Steve's life, whether it was, you know, his time at Elkhorn State or just fans who fell in love watching him play, whether it was in college or in the pros, and just really wanted to be there um, in support of the family. Um, so yeah, people were lining up. I remember, I mean, that was part of my job was to go and to talk to the fans who had come. So just kind of walking down the line, talking to the first people who were in line and then, you know, from there on. And the, I mean, the entire place was full. Um, and it was a really interesting mix of, because it was a public funeral seeing, you know, those personal, connections to Steve, right? His mom, his wife, his children, Vince Young, who he mentored, some you know, NFL quarterbacks were there. Uh, Ray Lewis was there, um, Brett Favre, but then also just all the fans who had come uh, to show their support around them. Had you ever covered anything like this, Jessica, before, just, you know, in your career, as far as the scope of it, how shocking, you know, a new story it was, and, um, you know, as you, as you kind of just painted that scene, had, had you ever covered anything quite like that? 
You know, not exactly. There's been a couple of country music stars that have died over my career, and I've been, you know, there's been um, out at the Opry, they've had a couple of public funerals, and that has been kind of a similar mix, but nothing uh, is shocking. You know, the, the, those musicians that died, you know, it was kind of older age, they were expected, they were legends, you know, it was the time that everybody wanted to say goodbye, but it was the time that everybody had prepared for. Um, with Steve, it was such an out-of-the-blue scenario, and there was so much wrapped up in the actual coverage of the crime um, that it was a really it was a it was unlike anything I'd ever covered before. Just because it was it was the police investigation, but also this outpouring of support and love for and you know an NFL legend that had died. So yeah, it was certainly unique. You spoke a little bit about um, kind of interviewing people there and and just talking to people kind of just measuring up what was going on. Do you remember some of the stories that you wrote from that day and, and what those were about? You know, I think, um, you know, I, I remember less specific stories, uh, except for, I do really remember another one of the, the most compelling and vivid moments in my memory is when Vince Young spoke. Um, you know, he, Stephen there was a mentor to him. And, um, I remember him, talking about in, you know, specifically addressing Steve's sons who, you know, were standing in front of him when he spoke and saying, you know, I used to want to do everything like Steve. I used to want to walk like him, to talk like him, to throw like him. Because, you know, Vince Young was an up-and-coming quarterback and Steve McNair was his, you know, his mentor and his idol, really. Um, And so that particular moment was also really, really touching and moving and devastating all at the same time to see Vince kind of really thought that he was one of Steve's sons too, and that they were all kind of in this tribe together, and that Vince really kind of pledged at that moment to be there for Steve's kids the way Steve had been there for Vince. Mm-hmm. And then I, I know you went to the cemetery as well, and you know there's a mm-hmm. couple of, of really vivid images there. If maybe you could, uh, you know, just just talk about those and you know some of the things you can recall from going and seeing C- Steve's grave at the cemetery. Yeah, absolutely. So the day after the service, um, I decided I wanted to go out and see just where, you know, Steve was buried. And it's a small cemetery. I mean, and I I guess I I can't remember exactly how big it is. I don't want to misquote it, but I want to say it's like just a couple acres big. And it is off of a four-lane highway that if you were driving by at 55 miles an hour, you probably wouldn't even know it was there. It's kind of out in the middle of nowhere, really. I mean, to have this idea that this NFL legend um, is buried here is, is just a shock in itself because most people would never know that they were passing him when they were zooming by in their cars. Um, you know, I remember the cemetery, uh, it, it wasn't, it also wasn't very... Um, it wasn't super ornate. It wasn't super, you know, some of these cemeteries have these big, beautiful mausoleums and big, beautiful, you know, grave markers. And most of these were pretty basic. Um, but then you walk kind of in, and if you turn to the right and you walk to the far corner of the cemetery on the right side, that's, that's where Steve's grave was. And when I went there that day, it was still covered with, you know, beautiful sprays of different colored flowers because, you know, the service had just been there yesterday. There was tons of markers and memorials. Um, and his, his headstone itself 
was something laid in the ground and it was this very, it was this picture of a sunset uh, over the water uh, with a pier going out into the water. Um, it's very, it was colored. So it stuck out from, you know, the different stones and different grays and that you would see in the other markers. Um, and yeah, it just really struck me that here in the middle of kind of nowhere is where he was being laid to rest. USA Today also had a local reporter on the scene. Jason Munns was in his third year as the Hattiesburg American Southern Miss beat writer at the time, and he was there to document it as well. He's now a digital producer for the Commercial Appeal in Memphis. So Jason, as, as a native of Mississippi, you actually had some experience watching McNair, covering McNair, even before that assignment that you got back in July 2009. Yeah, uh, that's right. Um, you know, it's not often in the corner of the state where I'm originally from, uh, originally from Natchez, Mississippi. And, uh, you know, word, you know, it's a smaller community and anytime there is a big time high school athlete that is going to be making their way through, um, is going to be making their way through, then, then everybody knows about it and everybody wants to, to see it. And so it was 1990 when, Steve McNair was a senior at Mount Olive High School, and they had, they were the defending 1A state champs. Um, and so he was really beginning to uh, get some some pretty big recognition. And a lot of people around Natchez also knew that he was coming to Alcorn State very soon after he finished at Mount Olive. And so they, you know, Natchez and Lorman, Mississippi, aren't that far apart, maybe 20 minutes. And so, yeah, it was... It was a, a, an interesting night. It was a playoff game uh, at Cathedral High School, uh, Devereux Stadium, uh, very small. You know, like I said, one A one A stadium back in in 1990. And um, I mean, he just he just he put on a show. I mean, there was a ton of people there. You couldn't get within a hundred yards, or we couldn't get my my friend and I. I was uh, hanging out with his family. He he went to Cathedral. I didn't go to Cathedral at that time yet, but he did and. Uh, so I, I went to the game and, and we had to sit in the parking lot, parking lot on the hill, kind of overlooking the stadium. And uh, and that was as close as we could get. Um, but it was as close as I needed to be. Uh, it was it was beyond obvious even to just almost 10 year old me at the time that um, he was something special. And and I was witnessing something that was uh, that was that was really, really special. And so that was my first encounter. And so, you know, the years go by and. He becomes what he becomes. Uh, I never attended any of his games uh, when he was at Alcorn State, but you know, kept up with it. Obviously, it was it was certainly something to to see that you know. And then he goes on to his pro career, and he starts holding uh, camps, youth youth football camps at Southern at Southern Miss because he's from uh, Mount Olive originally, which is only about forty minutes north of Hattiesburg, where Southern, the University of Southern Mississippi is. And uh, I covered Southern Miss for a long time and got a chance to cover some of those camps and witness what Steve McNair was kind of all about uh, in terms of the way he interacted with the kids and the way he tried his best to teach them the fundamentals of football. And that was really fun. And then um, a little bit later, as his sons got older, they started going to uh, high school at uh, a place called Oak Grove 
High School, which is in Hattiesburg, Mississippi. Uh, Steve Jr. went there, and also Jonathan McNair. Uh, they both went there, and so um, I would cover their games from time to time, and Steve would be at every single one of them. He was... He was just the most, you could tell, I mean, you didn't have to speak to him. You could just really tell that he was a very down-to-earth, uh, genuine individual who uh, genuinely cared about his sons and, and the, way they, the way they performed and, and the way they played the game. And then, Jason, at 4 p.m. on July 4th, 2009, which I think was probably two or three years before I even had a Twitter account, you tweeted, just talk to Steve McNair's agent who says it's apparently true that McNair had been found shot to death in Nashville. I'm curious what that day was like for you just as, as a native of Mississippi, as someone who, you know, as you just described, had a couple of past experiences with him and, and knew what he meant to that community, what that was like, just, you know, just that initial reaction uh, of hearing that news and, and getting that assignment. Well, you know, at that point, I hadn't really done a whole lot in terms of covering what would be national news and, and you know, sort of rock the sports world in a sense. I, I didn't really have much experience with that at the time. And and I, I what I remember is it was, uh, it was a Saturday. Uh, it was myself and our sports editor Alan Hinton, we were we were in the office. There was also our uh, managing editor. Time was also in the office, and we got a call from our features editor who had heard about what had happened and was re- and related to us. And and the, and it you know it it just it was something that you can't prepare for anything like that. Um, nobody can. And it was just a, it was a very deer in the headlights feeling for me like I knew you know I knew that it was all systems go at that point but but at this again at the same time you just don't know what to do you know you have to do something and you know you have to do things quickly and 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 you you have to start doing things with a sense of urgency but you don't know what to do and so it's a very like I said deer in the headlights uh, moment um, but once you get past that, uh, once I got past that initially and, and I made the phone call to Bus Cook, uh, who was um, Steve's agent, it was, I remember that very vividly, uh, that phone call. I did not expect him to answer, but he did. And he didn't really waste much time. He, he knew exactly what I was calling for and uh, simply said exactly what you, uh, what you read back is that he uh, uh, didn't know didn't know much about what was going on um, and, and wasn't going to confirm anything for sure. But um, he had heard what everybody else was hearing. And, and, and that was, that was something that I, you know, I'll, I don't think I'll ever forget. Uh, it was that phone call. It was, it was, it was um, very surreal. And, you know, and just the rest of that day, you know, once, once it does start to finally sink in and the adrenaline slows down, it's like, well, this is something that's going to leave a mark, uh, a lasting, uh, you know, a lifelong mark for, for many people on this, on the state and the community and, and the sports world as a whole. And sort of trying to wrap your mind around that, um, around that notion was, was pretty difficult and still is uh, when, when you think, of, when I think about it. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure. And if you can maybe you know, recall the wake in Mount Olive, maybe describe that scene for me and just what that was like to cover that. Yeah, that was, 
I, I want to say that was the Friday after the Friday after the fourth. So it was not quite a week later for that, for the wake. And it was at uh, Reeves funeral home in, um, in Mount Olive, Mississippi. And, uh, it's, it's a funeral home that sits maybe, I don't know, 75 yards or so off the, uh, off the highway, off of, uh, uh, highway 49. There was, if I recall correctly, upwards of 2,500 people there, many of them wearing Titans jerseys, but I would say the majority of them were wearing Alcorn state jerseys or, you know, Alcorn state, um, you know, t-shirts or garb of some kind, you know, it was, that was, uh, talk about surreal. That was another one that was just so, just so crazy. Uh, you know, you, you never, you never think that, uh, you know, you'll cover something like that. But then when you do, you, you kind of find yourself in another, and I go back to the deer in the headlights thing. It was just like pretty wild, uh, the way it, the way it all looked and felt and media was technically not allowed into the, uh, sanctuary. Uh, but I, was able to get in um, and sort of uh, at least get my uh, get my eyes on the scene and, and and I mean it was just family and friends and fans just sobbing uh, everywhere you looked uh, just people sobbing there was if I recall right there was about an eight foot tall um, a rain wall of flowers um, that that sort of served as the backdrop behind the casket which was open uh for the uh, for the wake it was a beautiful very appropriate i thought a beautiful setting it was it was again another uh, another very surreal moment i spoke to that day i spoke to a woman named Christine Woodland who actually attended Alcorn State the exact same years that Steve did and and they actually had a class together. It was an English class. I remember her telling me, and she, I, I have her quote written down here. She said he was a good person, a truly genuine person. No matter if you met him on the street or anywhere, he was just a genuine person. And it breaks my heart because we were friends, and I can truly say that. And and I feel like that was uh, she was just one of many who felt a very real uh, connection to to Steve. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I'm sure the next day, the funeral, a lot of the same sort of feelings, sentiments. What do you remember from that day and the funeral itself? Yeah, that was, um, again, I keep going back to the surreal feeling that, that surround that just, that just hovered over Hattiesburg and, and I'm sure Mississippi and the NFL community and, and the sports community as a whole for a long time, you know, it was, it, there were a lot of, uh, well-known people who who were there uh, for the funeral. It was held at Reed Green Coliseum in Hattiesburg, which is where uh, the University of Southern Mississippi plays its basketball games, and and that was you know the biggest venue in the area. That you know they obviously were expecting a ton of people to uh, to be there for it, and they they were right to hold it there. I think capacity is somewhere in the neighborhood of like eight thousand, I think, and. I, 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 it was as packed as I've ever seen it in there. And, and even outside, there were some people that weren't allowed in quite a few people, as I remember it, uh, weren't allowed in. Um, 
but yeah, uh, Ray Lewis spoke during the service. Jeff Fisher was there. Jay Cutler was there. Brett Favre, uh, Doug Williams, his uh, Steve's uh, college coach at Alcorn State, Cardell Jones, uh, was there. Craig Johnson, uh, former Titans quarterbacks coach, uh, was there. And um, Vince Young was also there. Uh, and he spoke, and he uh, I remember him being very emotional d- during his his time speaking to the to the people who were there. That was a hard day. That was a very, very difficult day for a lot of people, and one that uh, that you know is forever forever etched in my memory as uh, one of those days that you know nobody'll ever forget. Ten years later, the memories are all we have left of Steve McNair. The Titans will retire his jersey number during a game in 2019, another nod to the legacy of one of the most prolific athletes Nashville has ever seen, and another reminder of how shocking it is that he's gone.